Hey there, it's Gary Parish It's Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and there was uh, some significant news in the sport earlier today. The NCAA announced the RPI is dead and gone, dead and gone, just like the old TI. It'll be replaced by a new metric called the NET. Norlander, you wrote about it today while I was traveling. Tell us what we need to know, and then I'll ramble on about it for like 11 straight minutes. Before we get to that, i got to acknowledge that that might have been the second time you've ever sung on the podcast, so certainly a, <laughs> a momentous occasion there. Dead T- and gone. Dead and gone. T.I. no less. Okay. Um, big day in college basketball, uh, obviously. NCAA tournament, the way it's assembled, uh, the field of 68, the way it will be seeded and selected, has been changed for the better forever. The RPI is indeed, it is dead and gone in a coffin in the ground or a Viking funeral at the sea. Let that baby burn. And so now we have the NET, uh, which is a cute little acronym, pun, whatever you want to call it. Um, we don't know yet um, how successful this will prove to be. And as we get into this, I want to remind listeners that ultimately all this data is going to have to, to the best of committee members' abilities, be interpreted and used in a way that seeds and selects the tournament in just a little bit of a better manner than we had been doing over the previous four decades. It's my opinion that the committee has actually done a better job slowly but surely uh, in the past 10 years, especially like if, listen, no one can pick out what the bubble situation was like in 1992, but I can almost guarantee you that if we could go back into that time and uh, put modern analytics and metrics within the sport of college basketball then and use that versus is how teams were seeded, I would almost guarantee you that there would be some glaring differences then versus what we've seen over the past five or six years. But nonetheless, perfection is impossible, but it's really good that the NCAA wants to get better with this overall. And I think think that it will. Um, I've got a few criticisms, but for, for the most part, Parrish, I'm pretty good with this, uh, given what the NCAA wanted to do here. And the one criticism that I have is that this was not a composite. You know, I was hoping that whether they were going to go with a predictive model composite or a non-predictive model, the RPA was non-predictive, Ken Palm is predictive. Um, I was hoping they were going to do that, but here's why they didn't do it, and it makes... It makes some sense from the NCAA standpoint. They basically didn't want to be relying on three, four, five, ten, however many models in a in a composite structure when they weren't sure if and when those models might be tweaked, to what degree they don't have ownership over those. And, you know, I was told even though this is unlikely, they did not want to open up any sort of possibility where they find out that one model that they like just so happens to whether inherently, intentionally or not, be favoring a certain kind of program for whatever reason, and then you get into a bunch of trouble if, you know, if Model XYZ is giving this odd preferential treatment in its algorithm to Michigan State, well, then the NCAA would look really bad if that were happened. So I get all of that, um, but one metric is not as good as the wisdom of crowds, particularly in this era that we live in, uh, so we are short on that overall. Um, this NET is going to rely on five different kinds of pillars, if you will, I guess. Um, And within that, we don't know the minutia of how each of these pillars is going to be weighted, but I'll run them down here, Paris, and then I'll I'll hand the mic over to you. So the first and the most important one is what's called the Team Value Index. And 
It will feature strength of schedule and how that strength of schedule is weighted, Parrish, we don't know yet. Um, but we damn better sure find out by the time the season gets here, in my opinion. Um, but it will be based on win-loss results and the opponents that you face will be factored in there as well. The second is your team efficiency. So your offensive and defensive efficiency, which has been proven to show uh, how effective you are versus the rest of college basketball. Uh, I think that's a really good addition to this formula. Overall wins... Your winning percentage against Division One opponents will be a part of this. I think that is important, but it's not overly emphasized, which is also a key component because you don't want to have teams racking up wins the way St. Mary's has and having a, an imbalance within the rankings there. Then the other two were the adjusted winning percentage, which is maybe a little bit of an, a, a newer concept for people, but this is going to reward teams for when they win on the road, the kind of opponents they win on the road. It will dock you if you lose at home, depending on the kind of opponent that you lose at home against. So we're getting more content around results on schedules, which I think is very beneficial for the team sheets. And the last one, hallelujah, it's scoring margin. And um, the note on this is if, it, if a game goes to overtime, no matter, say a game is 64-64 to overtime, if that game ends 79-65, the winning team will only be assessed plus one in the margin and the losing team only minus one. I agree with that because basically you had teams play to a stalemate through 40 minutes and because overtimes, if you go to three, you have weird foul trouble. There are too many odd variables. I love that the fact that overtime is plus or minus one. I think that's totally fair. But otherwise, if a game ends in regulation, they cap it at 10 points for margin of victory. So 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You'll have the, um, the algorithm there taking into account how much you win by. Personally, I think 10 is a little too low. In my opinion, winning between 10 and 20, I think there's a significant difference there. But Dan Gavitt told me on Wednesday that 10 was the sweetest spot between the simulations that they ran with thousands of games between what was the most distinct difference in margin of victory when you got to a cap and not trying to influence coaches' behavior to running up the score. My only retort to that would be it's harder to win it's harder to win by eighteen points versus eleven points than than I think a lot of people really actually think, with the exception of if like Duke wants to play uh, a team out of the swack at Cameron and it wants to win by forty nine versus winning by twenty nine. I think I think in those situations like Duke, there is actual difference there. But those kinds of wins almost mean nothing to a top five level team, Duke type of team schedule overall. So I think it's a moot point overall there. And then they did say, Gavitt said, Parrish, that if they look at the the metrics a year from now and they decide that that 10-point cap maybe is a little too low, they're open to tweaking it to go into 12, 14, 16 points. So that's a really broad overview. I've already talked a little bit too much here, but uh, but good returns all around in my opinion. Are you on board with a lot of this, some of this, little of this? What are your thoughts, GP? I mean, it, it's clearly an improvement because anything that replaces the antiquated RPI is going to be an improvement. Uh, there's really been no reason for the NCAA to con continue to use that undeniably fall, flawed formula uh, for as long as they did. So uh, absolutely, you could have told me they used any uh, other metric or invented one, which is what they've essentially done, and I would have been on board with it. Uh, what I like best is that it's, it's results-based primarily, at least according to Dan Gavitt. This is uh, the, the, you know, one of the things I've always said. The wins have to matter and the losses have to matter. And this absolutely you know, takes that into account. I like uh, taking into account the, the, the margin of victory. I think it should. You know, beating a team by one is different than beating a team by 12. just is. You know, why, why would you not want that to be a part of, uh, of any algorithm? And so... Um, 
you know, offensive efficiency numbers, defensive efficiency numbers, just being smarter about how uh, we slot teams and and how teams are are going to be selected and seeded. Uh, I, I think you you'd have to be you'd have to really get creative to try to come up with the system the NCAA is going to use in 2019. It's it, it, it seems clearly going to be better than than any system it's it's ever used. They'll, they'll, the information on the screens of the committee members is going to be uh, better information. The way teams are, uh, um, you know, plotted on team sheets is going to be smarter. And that's all good stuff. The only thing I don't like, and perhaps this changes, but I think they need to be totally transparent with with what this actually is. Don't just tell us um, these things matter. Make sure everybody understands exactly how much they matter. You know, I, I don't think coaches need to be in the business of, of guessing on this stuff. You you need to, if possible, be as transparent as you can be, as open as you can be with with what makes this thing work so that coaches can schedule for it, coaches can coach for it, and so that when we get to Selection Sunday, we won't have all these paranoid coaches uh, talking about the system was rigged against them or we don't really know what's in the system or like who's really controlling these numbers. The less information you provide, the more conspiracies you're going to create. And so I hope we get to a point where uh, transparency is, 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 is a priority and, and we, we understand exactly what's happening with this algorithm. Can we, yeah, let's stay on that for a quick minute here, GP. So, from that perspective, we are really going from the uh, two-and-a-half-foot-deep shallow end of the pool way over by the diving board into the deep end when it comes to what we're using here because in the past, the only thing the NCAA used on its team sheets with its ranking, strength of schedule, all that, it was all RPI, and it was such a basic formula. Your strength of schedule, opponent's strength of schedule, and opponent's opponent's strength of schedule. And now what you have is more, more factors into this algorithm in, in and of itself, and now you had the NCAA teaming up with Google. They spent a year essentially working on this on the back end, testing out what's going to work, what isn't. And Gavit told me this is a, quote, machine learning uh, type of formula. He even said, like, using the term formula is too simplistic. That's not really what's going on here. We're using, like, artificial intelligence to be able to take these results and analyze on a day-by-day basis the organism that is 353 teams, we're going from 351 to 353 this season, uh, in college basketball, and trying and as best as it can through one metric, uh, rank them out 1 to 353 accurately and get a better picture, a clear picture. Obviously, as you get a bigger uh, data set, more sample size as the season goes along. So within that, what the NCAA has to do, uh, we, we agree on this. Um, rolling it out and the logistics of it, I think, are going to be really hard because there is there is purely going to be a lot of data and code that build this that 99.9% of the population is not going to know what they're looking at when they see it, but it has to be available. And from, from that, then you say, okay, here's all the stuff that builds this, and then here's how we are weighting these things because that's right. You're right. The coaches uh, deserve to know about it. It's their livelihoods on the line, and they need to have a good idea of what they're doing here. It's going to take them a few years, I think, to catch up anyway, and I don't think that the differences are going to be so major where you're going to have the likes of Villanova, North Carolina, Virginia, Michigan State, Louisville, Kentucky, UCLA, drastically changing the way that they schedule, but there could and should be some tweaks. I think we will see that overall. The one thing that I haven't heard anyone talk about yet, and I certainly heard from coaches in recent weeks, Parrish, is that this gets rolled out, 
effective for the new season, which I absolutely think should have been the call. Uh, but unless coaches were really paying attention to, frankly, this podcast or some of the stuff I've reported on this and things that have come out from the NCAA and in other reports, this was always the plan to have it rolled out for 2018-2019. But they didn't finalize this until the end of July. And so what's happened here is you've got more than 200 teams at this point maybe close to 250 teams have already established their non-conference schedules. And on a certain level, you'd say, okay, well, either you're scheduling well enough or you're not to be an NCAA tournament team ultimately. Well, yes and no, because as we learn every single year, by the time you get to the early portion of March, who you have scheduled, what may have, what teams may have been better than you expected, maybe worse than you expected, can have some impact on your resume overall. But I get the strong sense that by the time we get to March and we've got just three or four coaches really balance their programs balance right on that line gp um it might be a go-to excuse and it will be an excuse make no mistake about it It won't be a reason it'll be an excuse that listen the ncaa trotted this thing out at the end of the summer long after we had built our non-conference schedules and it looks like we're going to get punished here whereas we scheduled with the rpi in mind uh keep that in in mind going forward I, i think that's to be anticipated i don't know how legitimate it is but circling back to what you said Absolutely, the coaches and the public deserve to know what's involved here. I would think that when the NCAA first releases its rankings, which they plan at the end of November, early December, maybe around the ACC Big Ten Challenge GP, that's when at the latest we should be getting all the details. You can't keep some of this stuff behind closed doors because you're just inviting eternal criticism until we can all see what's going on there. You mentioned that the NAT is going to be powered by artificial intelligence. Nate Silver, of course, from the 538 blog, uh, tweeted earlier today, any sports metric that claims it uses artificial intelligence is probably badly designed. Is that a fair criticism? I have no – you know what? I think he responded to, to my – because I had uh, tweeted out stuff that Gavit told me. I think he responded to me on that. Parrish, I don't know. Nate's a really smart guy. He spent so much time in the forecast space in general, sports and obviously politics. Um, if, it's, if you're using artificial intelligence – here's what I'd say. The NCAA has spent a lot of time with the people at Google, who I think we would agree, a lot of the engineers, to get a job at Google, you got to be a pretty smart person. So I would, I would inherently believe that the model being used here, if it, if it truly is using some type of AI, is not faulty to a point where it's worse than the RPI. But if Nate is saying you really would have wanted to go down a different avenue here, Uh, If you're going to try and upgrade the system and and going with this model is not a proven way, he might have a case there, but I cannot speak to how much better or worse it is by using uh, this machine learning technology, which honestly, it it sounds way futuristic and fascinating. Maybe it's a lot more uh, simple than Gavit was laying it out to be. Um, But certainly that's something that caught my eye when Silver said that, and I want to keep that in mind as we go forward with this season, because I get the sense that um, things are not going to be as crazy different as people expect, Parrish. But I I do think that we will get to Selection Sunday, even with having known the midseason top 16 reveal and this, that, and the other. And I I think that we will have, maybe to our delight with mid-major programs or or things elsewhere in the bracket, we will just see things and say, look at this field in 2019. You see this? You see this team here? You see that team out? If we had kept the old system, these teams wouldn't be in these spots. Yeah, I'll, I'll bottom line it this way. I, I don't know that it's going to be perfect. Um, I don't know that it won't need to be tweaked. I do feel confident that it's going to be better than the data that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee has previously used, and, and that's a good thing. The only um, slightly, and I mean just barely, disappointing thing 
is that they didn't also tweak the quadrant system. And the reason I, I think they should tweak it is because I don't know where the, the sliding scale between home neutral road, quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four, I don't know exactly where it should, uh, it should settle. But I do know this, that beating Villanova at home should not go in the same column as beating Ryder on the road. But last season it did. Beating Kansas at home should not go in the same column as beating Northeastern on the road. But last season it did. Do you have any um, any idea why they, they didn't alter the, the quadrant system at all? I like the system. I just don't think the the cutoffs are in the proper places. Yeah. Um, I, I like the system as well. And, in fact, I think it's a good thing for the general discussion, the culture around college basketball, that we're almost – in default knee-jerk criticism mode when it comes to the tournament and stuff, and I understand that this world we're talking in is, is a relatively small world, but I like that a lot of people care about it. Media, coaches, fans, people that are involved enough to want to tweet at you and me obviously are invested in this overall. Um, I spoke recently with uh, with Mr. Pomeroy, and in fact, uh, him and, uh, and Gaffet told me that a lot of those cutoffs were, were based on previous year's worth of data, and recommendations from a lot of the people they had invited in January of 2017 to the NCAA Summit when they invited our own Jerry Palm and Pomeroy and Jeff Sagarin, among other people. Um, to me, they are too arbitrary. They're too simple. They're too neat. They're too fun. They're just cut off at the 50 and the 75. Um, in reality, I don't think they cut off that easily. Similar to how I don't think a 10-point margin of victory is as uh, is <laughs> as convenient of a cutoff as, uh, as Gavitt might have us believe overall. Um, I do think that the quadrants will be up for some manipulation in the years to come as we get more information. And if we really, if the NCAA and frankly, the coaches and the media kind of, kind of keep each other honest here and, and keep an eye on, on stuff like that. Cause you're right. Um, in regard to your Villanova versus Ryder point um, on its surface, it doesn't sound right. But then if you really, if you look at the numbers and really try and evaluate them, it's just hard to that. Those two being in the same clump just it's just a little little too tough to believe uh given even if Ryder in a super strong year um it, it's a tough sell overall uh, I think that they might tweak it somewhat in the years to come GP but undoubtedly the most important thing is that who you schedule and then road and neutral performances at least becoming more of a focal point in these discussions and I do think because of stuff like this you're going to have the committee getting smarter and smarter about this. Um, and one other thought I had about this, Parrish, is, you know, if you're thinking that if the NET or the NET, whatever we're going to wind up defaulting or referring to it uh, as orally, um, if you're thinking because they have this new metric and this is now going to be completely transparent in terms of like, okay, the top 16 teams in the NET are going to wind up being the four, top four seeds in each region. I would really caution against that because that was never the case necessarily with the RPI. They didn't go hand in hand, and you still have humans making these decisions. And that's a good thing. I don't want a BCS formula because it's better for college basketball if we have some things to be mad about and be angry about on Selection Sunday. Like, we want to make the bracket better, but ultimately you want to have an unpredictability element to Selection Sunday and that big reveal, and then you want to have some sort of engagement and debate. That is just good for the sport uh, overall. So I don't want to get to a point where we're trying to run the fastest mile possible and get this as perfect as can be. We're just trying to improve it slowly but surely. So the quadrant system gets us closer to that, but it absolutely needs a little bit of, of revamping. It's just a matter of will that come in the next five years or not.
If you want to read more about it, go to CBSSports.com. Norlander's got a column up right now. You can read that, CBSSports.com. Before we get out of here, we did launch our Candid Coaches series this week, and we're now three questions in. We asked coaches, more than 100, to identify who they think is going to be the best team in the country, uh, Kansas was, uh, I think, won by a, a pretty significant margin. We asked for the best player. That's Duke's R.J. Barrett, barely edging out a couple of other players. And we asked whether they have confidence that the Commission on College Basketball is going to be able to, to help fix uh, the problems within the sport. And 92% of the coaches who responded uh, responded with a nope, not at all. Any of these answers so far surprise you? Uh Kansas's margin surprised me, and a lot of this is because of the when I start polling these coaches, sometimes um, the results will kind of it'll just start off like a horse race, like close and close and close, and then that, that's what happened with Kansas with me on my end, and then I like 15 out of 19 answers were Kansas, and so the, the Jayhawks pulled way, way, way ahead. Now I agree that Kansas is the best team heading into the season. Um, that's just a pretty big gap, uh, 20. 20-point difference between Kansas and Kentucky, 38 to 18%. The Barrett thing didn't surprise me. You got the enough Barrett votes to overtake. I had I was tied with Carson Edwards and Zion Williamson. And what was interesting about the Zion stuff is I got all those before Duke was on television. I think if we had held this two days ago, Zion might have won. Uh, now, RJ was awesome as well in Canada Parish. Don't get me wrong. He was fantastic. They were both really, really good. But I think just... Because Zion was more talked about, his highlights were everywhere. If you were checking any sort of website uh, about college basketball, his name would have come up before RJ. I'm glad RJ won because I think RJ will be the better player and uh, has the better chance of being the National Player of the Year out of Duke. Um, that wasn't too surprising to me. Grant Williams from Tennessee getting a lot of votes was a little surprising. Glad to see. Reed Travis at Kentucky, he was the only Kentucky player to receive votes, and a lot of coaches clearly covet him being a fifth-year transfer in Calipari's system, think that he'll be really, really good. Coaches said they'd love to have him on their teams. As for the today's question, Wednesdays, uh, about the uh, commission, I think... So 92 is low, Parrish. 92 said uh, that... I actually thought it should have been like 100%. I honestly, Parrish, I want to say like... I want to say maybe I got to like 29 or 30 and I was at 29 to 0. And I was like, this might get to like 98% by the time. Like this might, this might flirt with the 100 mark here. It didn't. I got a few, I got a few coaches that said they think that the commission will solve college basketball's problems. And even then it was almost, they said yes. And some of the things that they addressed to me were, optimistic but it was not there was not one single answer that was like this commission is going to be the thing that pivots college basketball for the better we're never going to have cheating it there was nothing like that but it is a damning indictment on mark emmert on condoleezza rice and that commission parish i think we would have to agree when you have this many coaches this is not a small sample set when you have this many coaches saying what you put together to try and change our sport and fix our sport it is a failure. We do not have confidence in it at 92%. Those are insane polling numbers no matter what you're polling. Uh, if you poll people, if the sky is blue, you might not get 92% returns, okay? Um, it's not a good look for the NCAA and, and Mark Emmert, and um, it's no surprise that the number was that high. The thing I heard most often, the complaint from coaches on this topic was they didn't have the right people in the room. Like, they got smart people in the room. They don't have the right people in the room. I think one coach told you, like, and I'm assuming he was an assistant coach. He's like, the, the four people, the four coaches who got arrested were all assistants. Well, who's the assistant coach you talked to? Mm -hmm. 
You know, like, like, why, why do you, why did you have an assistant coach on this? Like, who are you talking to? Don't just tell me you're talking to people. I want to know the people you're talking to. You know, when, when the FBI is trying to figure out what's happening in the mob, they talk to the mob. You know, they, 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 and, and instead we put, again, smart and accomplished people on this commission, but people who don't live in this world. Like, I, I didn't see Condoleezza Rice in a gym this summer or, or, anybody, or anybody else that, that was on that commission. Like, I, I, honest to God, never saw anybody uh, in that gym. Um, they, 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 they can't possibly know the ins and outs of amateur basketball uh, the way so many other people do. And when you, when you assign people who don't live in that world the, the job of, of trying to fix that world, like I wrote, you know, they're on a failing mission from the jump. And when you don't allow them to seriously address the topic of amateurism, then like, what, what are we even doing? Like, is, you're not, not going to get anywhere. And the, the fact that college coaches, the overwhelming majority, have no confidence in, in, in what they've done so far or what they will do going forward, um, I think is just another bad look for the NCAA. Can we, I agree. Can we tease Thursday's question? Because a lot of these people that listen to the podcast might not even get to it until after Thursday's goes up. And I know you're writing about it. But the question is, in your estimation, in the past 10 months since the FBI's case came out, do you think that the release of that case has significantly reduced cheating in college basketball? This was more split on my end Absolutely. Um, couple of, um, a couple of coaches said that they couldn't say yes or no, but for the most part, I got a yes or a no. Um, if you don't want to spoil the results, we don't have to necessarily. But I will say the response to that question and the response to the, to the commission, will it fix college basketball? I think those were the two questions we asked this year that prompted the most dialogue with coaches, whether I was talking with them on the phone, um, some over text, a few over email, that prompted them to write more or say more. And this one was interesting because I had coaches at the high major level say they think that it has. I had some that say they think that it hadn't, and plenty at the at the mid and low as well. Um, and obviously coaches at the low major level, um, they were saying, well, listen, like I'm not involved in that. Are you saying any kind of cheating? I said, you know what? Actually, yes. I'm not just saying what was in the FBI report. I'm saying, has the FBI story, has that, has that in your opinion, at your level, because cheating can happen in all sorts of ways. Do you think it has affected it, whether it's getting a kid academically eligible that probably shouldn't have been? Um, has any kind of that behavior of breaking NCAA bylaws, has that changed? And there was a, a wide variety. And last thing I'll say, Paris, is coaches were – are still fired up about that and still curious about that, um, what is or is not changing overall. And uh, and I have my neighbor is shooting fireworks outside. Can you hear the fireworks? Yeah, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like you had a human trapped in a trying to beat their way out. Parrish, this is right next – like it's literally my next-door neighbor. What is what is going on? Where do you live? <laughs> what is going on? What are they doing? Anyway, uh, <laughs> August twenty second. I know. Why are your neighbors shooting fireworks? My next door neighbor. I hope that was it. I hope that was it. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway. I thought you were suddenly moved to a war zone. Could, it sounded like you were in a war zone. Oh man. Um, but anyway, so. The question that's going to go up Thursday that will be published, I, 
<laughs> some good conversations with coaches and a wide variety of opinion. What's your uh, what's your input there? I haven't tallied the votes yet, so it's not like I'm refusing to uh, to to release the answer. I just haven't actually added them up. But I will say the correct answer to that question is yes. Uh, of course, the FBI investigation has had slow cheating. It hasn't eliminated it. You'd be naive to think that. But at the very least, I think we can safely assume ain't no shoe company paid $200,000 to send a five-star player to a school. Like I, I can't, You'd have to be a maniac <laughs> to be running a shoe company right now and, and, and try to pull that off, uh, given that guys are facing federal prison. Who, who got caught doing it. So if anything, I think it scared them straight in that way. I won't pretend they're not doing other things, but just, hey, flat payment to a family, go to University of Louisville. I don't think that happens. has happened since uh, the FBI investigation. So if, if you'll agree with me, yeah. then, yeah, it's at least um, it's at least cleaned up the sport a, a little bit. And I, I've talked to enough coaches who – I mean, I even had one coach tell me, you know, out in Vegas – you know, the way you used to could get things done is like you, you take a, a you know, AAU guy to a strip club or, uh, to, you know, take a, a, a parent, uh, you know, to a off the beaten path bar and get a corner booth and, and, and you know, have drinks and, that, you know, stuff like that it used to be very, very normal. And this coach told me, like, I just can't do it right now. You know, like I, I, I would be scared, you know, in this, you know, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if they got a wire. I don't know who's watching. And so I do think it's 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 made the cheaters more hesitant to cheat. And it's eliminates eliminated, I do think, some of the big, big stuff that was going on. Because once upon a time, people thought that if you got caught cheating, you might lose your job. You might go on probation. You might get suspended. But, like, you ain't going to jail. Now there's a, a, a scenario where you could reasonably expect to maybe go to jail. And, you know, the, these guys are all college-educated men, for the most part, with wives and, and children. They ain't trying to go to jail. So I do think that the cheating has been slowed down. Not eliminated, but, but you know, I, I, I haven't counted the votes yet, but I thought it would be a significantly higher um, number of, of yeses, of course. It hasn't eliminated, but slowed it down. Sure, slowed it down. Yeah. Would, would you think so? I th- I thought so. That's that's why I opted to use the term significantly reduced. Like, did this actually right. scare? Did this really bring a lot of stuff down? Uh, some coaches were were pretty strong one way or the other. The last thing I'll tag this with is um, a lot of cynicism over the fact that Sean Miller still has a job. Bruce Pearl got an extension. Andy Enfield, obviously USC had an assistant that was. Uh, caught up in this and Andy Enfield is now has currently has the number one ranked class in for 2019 according to 247 sports and these are programs that have been publicly tied to nefarious wrongdoing on behalf of the FBI and its investigation so with that um I didn't necessarily I, I know I sent you a few things I don't I don't know how much I sent you with coaches trying to totally kill those guys but th- there is just some dispiritedness among that coaching fraternity to say listen like it's it's not a good sign when this stuff has happened and you have some of these programs thriving, other coaches getting extensions, whether they knew or they or they didn't, like where's the accountability? So there is definitely a faction of coaches that still very strongly feel that way and probably will for a long time. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of that as well. Like, you know, Rick Patino, like it did him in, but every everybody else whose program got mixed up in that, like, they're fine. Don's still got a job, Andy's got the number one recruiting class in the country. BP's got a top 10 team. Like, you know, who really got hurt here? 
um, the, in, in from a program perspective. Uh, Louisville, uh, perhaps, or definitely. I mean, they lost a Hall of Fame coach. But but outside of that, nobody. I, I think the answer is, is, is basically nobody. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. Five stars. Nice comments. And we will talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.